So today we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 22, and we're going to finish this whole chapter today. We've been really working hard, haven't we, going through the book of Revelation. And I will say that this has been one of my most exciting studies I've ever done. I've really appreciated going through the end times and finishing up with Revelation and, and the whole chapter, learning everything that there is there. And there's so much more. We've just scratched the surface. We've done nothing but just whet our appetite, really, for the things of God, for all of, for, of all fraternity coming. And uh, I'm just really grateful that you've been with me. It has really encouraged, I've encouraged myself to keep my eyes focused on the things of eternity. How easily we can get wrapped up with things today. And as important as they are, I'm not diminishing or I'm not, um, I'm not overlooking living today because it is important. We have responsibilities. We have things to do. But it's, this has helped me to really keep my eyes focused on the things that I can't see. Because the things that I see are temporary. The things I can't see are eternal. And I want that. I want that. Because, you know, we go through chapters in life, and we're going to talk about this later at the end. We've had multiple chapters in our lives, haven't we? And we can look back at our lives and see what doors have opened and what doors have closed and what chapters we've gone through. But the reality is we have the biggest chapter yet ahead that will never end. And we're going to look back and see how quickly our life really went by when we get to that point in time. I'm, whenever I hear of a of a saint that's passed, Lindell, for example, last night, I often get excited for them about what they're experiencing right now in the moment. She's alive, folks. She's more alive now than she's ever been. We are living in the land of the dying, moving towards the land of the living, and she's arrived. She fought the good fight. And now she's at home forever and ever and ever. And you know, we're all going to get there someday. We're all going to get there someday. Just be patient. Hold on. Work hard in the process. Endure to the end. Don't give up. Because the enemy is right there wanting us to give up and give in. And I am just so glad that this is not my eternal home. I am so glad that when we come back here, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, that's just, uh, that's just, that's just exciting to me. So, we have a lot to look forward to, and we have a lot to do. I was talking to some pastor friends this week, and, uh, we were commenting on how subtle and sly the enemy really is, and how he constantly works in the life of people, both in and out of the church. Just because we're redeemed, as we've already talked about a little bit here this morning, just because we're redeemed, that doesn't mean the enemy stops working on us. In fact, can I say that he goes overtime on the redeemed? Because he's got something to win back. For those that are faking it till they're making it type of a thing, and those that really truly aren't the redeemed, but yet they think they are, the enemy kind of leaves them alone. Why would he want to mess it up? He's got a good thing going because he's already got them going on a path that they think they're going down one, but he knows where they're really going, and he's not going to disrupt them. He'll let them go down that path, right? But if you're redeemed, if you really are on the narrow road, recognize the enemy's going to come against you. And recognize that. And I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to encourage you because that means you're on the right road. So hang tough. Stay the course. The devil doesn't like you. I'm going to tell you right now, he doesn't like you at all. He hates you, in fact, because if you've got Christ in your life, he hates Christ. And he hates the Christ, he hates the Christ in you. So he will throw everything he can in your life to try to get you distracted and try to get you off the course. And that's why I like the book of Revelation. This last chapter, 22, we're going to begin at verse 6. This, these are the last words that God is speaking to humanity. And whenever we get to the last words that anyone speaks, I think we can uh, know that they're going to speak with as much passion and as much intensity and as much deliberate, important things for us to know. And God is no different, obviously. So we're going to read through this chapter and we're going to study these next few verses and I pray we're going to get a lot of encouragement out of them. So beginning at Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 6. The, the, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. 
Verse 7, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. So John here is being told by the angel that everything that he's been shown in this whole 22 chapters is going to come to pass just like God said they will. Absolutely no question about it. There's no doubt about it. There's no changing the mind of God. He's not hoping things come to pass this way. He has already seen them come to pass this way. So rest assured, everything will happen just as he said. That's why he said these words are trustworthy and true. There's no wavering with God. There's absolutely no chance that God will change his mind and will change the plan here. And that's a good thing for us because we see at the end that we win. No chance you're going to lose if you stay with Christ. You're going to win. No chance you're going to lose. And then he declares these, that, these, that these events must soon take place. Now, some can say, well, he said that 2,000 years ago. So what does he really mean by this? According to John Wolford and some other Bible commentators, this, this phrase that must soon take place can also be understood that what is necessary to happen will happen quickly. What's necessary to happen will happen quickly. Once it starts, it's going to happen very fast. Jesus said that, the, he, said, he said, I'm coming soon. Now, when you take the fact that these what's necessary to happen will happen quickly, and Jesus saying, I'm coming soon, when you put those together, what we're really saying is that the coming of the Lord is going to happen at any time. It's an imminent thing. It could happen at any time. The harpazo, or the taking away, or the rapture of the church could happen at any time. And that we need to be ready for that to happen. And when that happens, we all know what it says in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be happened so quickly that we won't even be able to comprehend it. We're just going to hear the shout and boom, we're gone and we're in the new, we're in heaven. And then begins the process of the seven years and the thousand years. And when even that, even though it might seem like that's going to take a long time, even that's going to come quickly because when you take out, when you take a look at that compared to the time frame of eternity, that's just but hardly a blip on the eternal timeline. So when you take a look at it from God's perspective, remember God's outside of the timeline that we're on. He's not impacted by time as we are. So when he says it's going to happen quickly, we have to look at it from his perspective on the eternal timeline that everything that seems dragging out for us is but a moment to him. And it's going to be quick. And that's what's encouraging about this. So the point here that we need to take away is that we need to be ready for Christ's return at any time because we don't know when he's going to come. And all of these things are outside of our control. Therefore, don't worry about them. (laughs) We don't have to worry about when and how it's going to happen. Just know it is going to happen, just as God said it was. And our only responsibility is, is to be ready. To be ready. To be watching. To keep our hearts in tune with God. To keep our lives living on the right road of life. And to be working hard in the kingdom. To be building the kingdom. To evangelizing and sharing our hope and our promise with others. That's what it means to be blessed as we are honoring and keep and, and keeping the word and we're listening and we're studying the book of Revelation. But then John continues on in verse 8, 22 verses 8 and 9. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard them and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he, the angel, said to him, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. And then he says the most important two words that you'll ever hear. Worship God. Worship God. Now, I think we all can appreciate the fact that John is overwhelmed. Wouldn't you be? (laughs) After you have just seen all the things in Revelation come to pass and all the prophecies have been shown to you, I mean... 
I would, as you would, be falling on the ground in, in awe and reverence. And this angel is simply saying, yes, that's the right thing to do, but don't do it to me, do it to God. And this is, this is a good thing for us to learn, too, because, you know, sometimes the, the Lord will work through you, and he'll work through me. And we can be amazed by that. You know, I, I go back to that, that weekend I had in the prison ministry and that time I had with those prisoners and the, after those one-on-one times with those prisoners and I saw those men be broken and come to Christ and, and forgiveness, you know, it was such an overwhelming time. And, you know, you just have to, all you can do is say, worship God. Don't worship me. It's not about me. It's about God. And we have to be careful that we never, ever allow the praise of men to settle on our lives. We have to be a big mirror here, and we need to reflect reflect that praise up to God, our Father, because it's all about worshiping God, not about us. And I think that was a good lesson for John to hear and know and for us to to be reminded in that we always have to know that it's all about God, never about us. God chooses to work through us, but it's only for his glory. Amen? So worship God and everything. And then he goes on in in verses 10 through 11. He says, Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. Now, the justification for this urgent command is that the time is at hand for God's final chapter of humanity to begin. The church age is beginning now with the new church or the early church. And this was going to be the final age of human history that would usher in the end times and that would culminate in the return of Christ. And this time he's coming as a conquering king. The first time Jesus came that we're celebrating this time of year is the birth of Christ. And he came as a lowly baby in Bethlehem. I, I heard it said this way, and I really, really like it, in that God in his greatness had to become small so that we could associate with him. He had to to become small for us. And that's what Jesus did. Leaving heaven in the glory that he had and was and is, he became small. He became part of his creation. The second time he's coming, which is going to be soon, first in the rapture, then finally the second coming where he actually touches down on earth. When he comes that time, he's coming riding a white horse. (laughs) He's coming as a conquering king. And he's going to come and he's going to defeat the enemy and he's going to conquer his kingdom once and for all. Therefore, John is saying it's time to proclaim the words of this prophecy so that the whole world is warned so that they can be prepared, that we can be prepared and therefore the world can be prepared. And then he says something that we may not understand and that's why I want to talk about this next part because he says, let the one who does wrong... Continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who continues to do, do does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. To really understand the context of what this is saying, we need to read the next two verses, twenty-two and uh, verses twelve and thirteen, because Jesus he goes right on to say, "Now Jesus is speaking. Look, I am coming soon." Again, he's saying, "I'm coming soon." Right, the urgency of the hour. But then he says, "My reward is with me." And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what Jesus is really saying here, there's coming a time, and it could be very soon, we don't know, that it will be too late to be saved from your current condition. There is going to come a time when grace is going to end. And when that time comes... All second chances are gone. When the time is up, we will be rewarded or we will be judged based upon how we lived during that short time we had on earth. Right now. (laughs) 
I think that's something we really need to take serious. That there's coming a time when it will be over. That the way you were is the way you're going to be are forever. My Bible commentary says it this way. It says the invitation to return, the invitation to eternal life with God through faith in Christ, his son, is going out to all men. Right now, this invitation is for all people. It's how people choose to respond to this invitation during their short earthly lives will determine their eternal destination. Those who turn their backs on God and his word will become spiritually hardened and will continue to go on their own way away from God. There is no further revelation or truth for them. So what this is saying, there's coming a time when our present choices will be no more. That our present choices will become our permanent character. What I choose today, I have an opportunity to change. But there's going to come a time when they won't have an opportunity to change and they will become your character forever and ever. And that's why you will deserve either rewards or judgment because that will be your character. We may have 80 to 100 years, but the point is it doesn't make any difference how long we live here. It's an infinitesimally small, short time compared to eternity. And that's what makes the second part of verse 12 so important. He says, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Jesus is bringing his rewards with him. And this isn't Santa Claus. <laughs> this is not a, a wishful thinking. This is not a, a imaginary God coming back with an imaginary rewards. No, this is real. This is the real thing. And this is going to be forever. And that's why Paul says what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, so we make it our goal to please him, who is him, God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will be held accountable and rewarded appropriately. And that should all make us sit up and pay attention a little bit. We should be on our edge of our seats now. Because the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer We need to recognize the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. This is not a judgment of our righteousness, but it's a judgment of our works. And some will say, well, we're saved by grace, not by works. And to that, I would totally agree. We are saved by grace, not by our works. There's nothing we can do to work well enough, good enough, to deserve anything but eternal punishment. Our works are as filthy rags. In the face of the Lord. Grace is the only thing that saves us. But what about this judgment seat of Christ? What are we being judged for? At this point in time in your life, you are already redeemed and you're already saved. So salvation isn't a part of this judgment. What we're, what we're here for now is rewards. And these, re, these rewards will be eternal. And I don't know what the form of the rewards will be. We can speculate a little bit and we can think about it, but I don't know. And can I say I really don't care what they're going to be like because they're going to be grand. <laughs> if God's going to reward me, I can trust him that he's going to give me a good reward. If I've been faithful and, 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 and just, faithful and true to him, he's going to be more than faithful and true to me. So the rewards, whatever they look like, whatever they are, they're going to be worth it. They're going to be worth working really hard for here in this kingdom. And then he says in Revelation 22, verse 14, he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. What does it mean to wash our robes? What it means is that we are to, washing our robes is the same as asking Christ to forgive us. Through the, changing blood that he shed in the cross for us so many thousand years ago. And that's our only way that we're going to get our access heaven into the heaven and to that new city is that we have a washed life. Our, our, our sins are washed clean. 
We're redeemed. And I hope that we can all see and appreciate the significance of how important that trade is. That I trade my sin for righteousness. I trade my eternal punishment for eternal life. That's based on the work of grace. But I find, again, this is an interesting time. This is the second list now we're going to talk about. The second time that John takes the opportunity to continue to remind his readers, both then of that day and us today, that not all people will be included in heaven. Not all people will. So he gives this list again. Revelation chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. This will sound familiar because we've already heard this once in a previous chapter. He says, Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. It's a very impactful couple's verses here. And I want to skip down and read verse 16 again before we speak about verse 15 because this will help us appreciate the seriousness of verse 15. Verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you. This testimony for the churches. For the church. He's speaking to the churches now. He's speaking to us. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Jesus now is giving us, being part of the church, testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of his greatness, of who he is. There is no doubt in our mind who Christ is. And he's referring to himself maybe some with some titles of majesty that maybe we don't comprehend or don't understand, but he's saying, I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the bright and morning star. I mean, maybe we don't get that now. Maybe later we will. When that revelation comes, maybe we'll understand more what this means. But these are terms of endearment that are identifying Christ to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. To be the King that's coming for the faithful, both in the Old and New Testament saints. And that includes us, the church. And so when we recognize the the significance of the greatness of God, hopefully that will help us understand more the seriousness of what verse 15 says. Because verse 15 talks about those that reject his greatness. Verse 15 says that outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. When he's referring to the dogs, he's not talking about animals. He's talking about the lowest of the low. He's talking about people that are have fallen so low in their morality that they're considered a dog. That's what that means. But I really want to focus on the last sin. Because we, I think, can appreciate that all bad people are going to be in hell. We've talked about this before. People that murder, sexually immoral, the vile, the wicked, I think we all know that they're going to be in hell. But I think the thing that's so powerful about the last sin that he mentions, everyone who loves and practices falsehood will be in hell. Now, let's, what does that mean? What does it mean? What is a falsehood? A falsehood is nothing more than a lie. It's a deception. It's a lie. And everyone who loves and practices will be outside with the dogs. Now, do you think that people like to lie? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, that he uses love and lie in the same sentence? Anyone who loves and practices falsehood. You see, I don't know about you, but even in my redeemed state, I found myself to lie every once in a while. Do you ever lie? Have you ever slipped 
told a lie, maybe maybe deceived a little bit. Yeah, but when you do, what do you feel? Do you feel some guilt? Do you feel some shame? I hope so. Because when we lie, here's the key to sin, this sin and every other sin, because if we, if we don't feel this guilt, if we don't feel a sense of conviction, then we are on the slippery slope of becoming a lover and a practicer of falsehoods. You see, here it is, that when we're, we're not perfect, right? We're not perfect even in our redemption. We still battle the flesh, but we don't give in to it. We don't give in to it because we are to take every thought captive. We are to know that we are not to be a practicer of evil. And when we realize and recognize sin in our lives, to keep us from becoming desensitized to it, because we can be, right? We can burn, we can sear the conscience, so to speak, that we must immediately repent and ask for forgiveness. So what happens? What do you do? What do you do if you find yourself having maybe told a lie or maybe stretched the truth a little bit? Well, let me just give you some practical things to do. Number one, fess up to it. Admit it. Don't cover it over with a justification. And maybe what you should do if you've lied to somebody, be a big enough man or a big enough woman to go to that person and said, I didn't tell you the truth. I need to make it right with you. I need to tell you what really happened. I need to tell you the real story. Because in my flesh... Or you could say it however you want to say it. But I didn't do a right thing. I lied. And you know, there are so many ways that the enemy gets into our lives that we can justify deceitfulness and lies really easily in our life. And if we do that, we will become a lover and a practicer of falsehoods. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is this making sense? Is this, is this hitting home a little bit? Now, I'm not saying you're bad people. I'm just saying that we, if we justify ourselves too much, we can be really hurting ourselves. And let me say that we can do this in subtle ways. And this is maybe not a direct influence of that, but here's something that I think is really important, and especially in a small church, or any church for that matter, but the enemy will use anything he can to bring a division into a church. You know, we have a a church prayer line, a text line, which I really appreciate that group of people that are on that. And we also have a prayer time here on Sunday mornings. And I know we have other opportunities of prayer with our ladies groups and such, but here's something that's really important. I want us to recognize how important it is that we keep these prayer times as prayer times and not opportunities of gossip. Because sometimes we share very personal things in our prayer times. Right? And we share them, why? Because we're a family. Because we are a family of believers and we trust each other. And you know, somehow, sometimes the devil can get in and take what is shared, intended to be for a private prayer thing that we take together before the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can become a gossip. Because we can take that thing that was intended for prayer and it becomes an opportunity for me to share information that's not mine to share. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you see how quickly it can become an evil thing? What's intended to be God for good, how it can be turned into evil by the enemy because we can take it and make it gossip? Listen, recognize, pray for discernment. That if someone comes to you and shares a prayer need, maybe you should ask them, is this public information? Is this information I can share? And ask the question, because if it's private, then keep it private, right? Keep it amongst the prayer warriors in our church. Don't use it as an opportunity to share information that's not, that's not yours to share. And that's part of the deception. That's part of the evil. That's part of what lying is part of, because we're saying things that aren't, maybe aren't true. Because maybe we know gossip quite often turns into lies. That's what's so dangerous about it, because it turns into the telephone game. <laughs> we all know what that's like. Right? We, 
whisper something in somebody's ear and whisper it down to a line of half a dozen people, and by the time it gets to the last person, not even close to what the first person said. So that's interesting, and it's dangerous. So we've got to be careful with that. But let me go back to my point. What I find so interesting is that the last sin, this is the last sin that the Bible describes. Remember we said that the last words of a person are sometimes his most important words? This is the last sin that God is describing, and he's talking about lying. He's talking about deception. And isn't it interesting that this was also the first sin that was introduced in the Bible? Way back in Genesis, 6,000 years ago, the first sin that came in was deception. The first sin that started it all was the devil saying, did God really say? Did God really say? And what is that? That's a form of deception. He was out to deceive. He was out to lie. The devil is the father of lies. That's all he can do. That's all he does. That's how serious lying is. And I believe that quite it's unfortunate that ever since that time, deception and lying is the most prevalent form of sin. And can I say it? Even in the church? Even in the church? Because we can be deceiving in the church and think we're fine. And here's the worst part about being deceived. You don't know it. The hardest thing, the worst part of deception is that if you're so caught up in deception and deceived, you don't even know you're deceived. And that's a tough one to get out of because now you're in a spiraling circle. It's not surprising at all that God would bookend the first sin and the last sin as being deception and lying, because that's what destroys what God has established as perfect. It wasn't until Adam and Eve believed the lie that all of God's creation was destroyed. That's how serious lying is. And yet people become a lover of it. And you become a lover and practicer of lying and falsehood because sometimes that's just who we are, because we get so accustomed to it that when we when it furthers our agenda... When it furthers our purpose, we just go back to lying and live the lie, and that's serious. This should be a warning for all of us in and out of the church that God does not tolerate lying or hypocrisy or deceit of any kind. Does not tolerate it. That's why he says they're out with the dogs. That's why I said a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, that there will be more really good people moral people in hell than murderers because the moral people could be liars and practices of liars, loving the lie, loving the falsehood. All right, I'll get off that soapbox for a minute. But that's important, and we need to make sure that we recognize that. And then Revelations chapter 22, verse 17 Jesus goes on, and he says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears him say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. The God is calling us constantly, forever calling all of us, all of creation, to come. All that are thirsty, come. All that are heavy laden, come. And I will give you rest. But I think it's really important here that it's not just the Spirit of God making this call. What does it say? The Spirit and the Bride. Who is the Bride? That's us. So he's asking us to be part of the call. We are to go out into the world that we're uniquely qualified in because we have a workplace amongst the unsaved that we are, the Bride, are to be calling out. Just as the Spirit of God is calling out, we as the Bride are to call out. We're to be an evangelist. We're to be a share of the good news. He has empowered the church, soon to be the bride, to reach out into the world that we live in and to invite others into it. Christ was the model. He modeled how to do it for us. And now we're to be following his model. God uses like kinds to save like kinds, right? I can't be in your workplace. I can't do the things that you do 
And I shouldn't try. And you can't do the things that I do or the person sitting next to you. And we shouldn't try. Just be yourself. Be who God has called you to be. And be that agent in that workforce or in that social context, wherever you're at, to be Christ to the world. That's what we're asked to do. Let me ask you, how did you get to know Christ? How did you come to know him? Was it a supernatural visitation? Did, did God come to you and give you a revelation and say, I'm God, you need to follow me? Or did somebody who loved you share the gospel? You probably got saved because a person shared it with you. Maybe it was your parents. For me, I was young enough. I've always been in the church. I can't remember who that person was that shared the gospel to, to me. But maybe you came to the Lord in older in life, and you might know exactly who it was that brought that revelation knowledge to you. What are you to do with that? You're to pass it on. You're to pass the gift. You're to take what you received and give it to others. That's our job. That's the mission as the bride and as the church is to follow Christ in that example. Now we're getting to the fi- closer to the final remarks. Revelations chapter 22, 18 and 19. Jesus says, I warn everyone now who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds to the, anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes away words from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the scroll. This is the final command of Scripture. We saw the final sin. The final sin was lying and deception. Now the final command is, do not add or take away from Scripture. We all know what sound bites are, right? We all know how things can be taken out of context. A sound bite is when you take what was said before and what was said after, cut those away, and just take that little bit you wanted to hear and say that. And with that, you can take a lot of things out of context. I mean, whole elections <laughs> can be stolen that way, right? Anything in our political world is about, it's all about sound bites. It's all about quips. Well, let me tell you, it's the same way in the church, if we're not careful, that people can take favorite passages out of context. We're to read the whole Bible, the whole context, and we're to apply it all in us. We are not given the right. Can I say my biggest fear since I've become a pastor in 2009, my biggest fear is that when I try to preach, when I try to teach, when I try to bring the Word of God to you, that if I say anything out of context, and I maybe I have, and if I have, I'm sorry, I apologize, first to God. But my biggest fear is that if I don't preach the God, the truth of God's Word out, my biggest fear is that when I stand before God someday, He's going to say, Mike, who gave you the right to change what I said? Who gave you the right? I said, I hate this. I said, I love this. I said this. I said that. Who gave you the right to change it to make it more acceptable to men? And I don't say that because I'm perfect. (laughs) I don't say that because I don't ever do anything wrong. Because whatever this truth of God's word is, it comes to me first, and i got to deal with it first. And then what I have to share it with you, and I have to share it openly and honestly, because I have to give the truth of God's word, because this is a stern warning to anyone that doesn't do that. Watch out, because I'm risking my eternal life over this. Therefore, I fear God. I love you. And I pray I never fear you more than I fear God. I never fear how you're going to look at me, how you're going to respond to me more than what I fear God saying, Mike, you didn't have the right to say that. Oh, my gosh. Rip, does that give you fear? Does that give you a little angst when you stand up before the men? When you're, when you're the one given the responsibility to teach the word, that, that should give us fear. Listen, guys, it should give you a sense of fear, too. When you're in your workplace... Live the word. Speak the word. Live the truth. Speak the truth. Share it with your family. They may not like it. 
but share it in love and mercy with God's grace? Because let me ask the question, or let me first of all say this is a stern warning for those that take Scripture out of context to serve their needs, there are eternal consequences that may very well cost them their eternal life. That's how serious this final command of God's Word is. Now let me ask the obvious question. If you change God's Word, who benefits? If you change God's Word to meet a certain situation that might be more adaptable in 2022, who benefits? No one. Not the giver or not the hearer. The only one that benefits is Satan. Everyone else loses. It might have gone better because maybe you didn't offend somebody. But at the end of the day, you're not, you're not going to benefit from that and neither are they. The only one that benefits is Satan because he's won the battle. And he's won. And now we have to be careful that we do not allow him to be a deceiver. That's exactly what happened when God, I'm sorry, when Satan said to Eve, did God really say? Back in the garden. So let me say this. Don't be offended by a pastor or a teacher or any other spiritual leader that's teaching from the word of God. That when it's, that when they say something that challenges your way of living, don't be offended by that. Rather, be thankful that he or she is willing to love you enough to tell you the truth so that you benefit from it and that the devil doesn't. Let's take away his victories. Let's not let the devil win in anything. Finally, the last couple of verses in Revelation 22, verse 20 and 21, it says, He who testifies to these things say, Yes, I am coming soon. Another third time in this little passage. Yes, I am coming soon. Do you see how, how the, 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 the urgency of the hour is? I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, John cries out. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. That's the last verse of the Bible. John declares the obvious, that after everything he's seen here and witnessed, there is absolutely no question that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and everything will be done according to what he said they will be done. Jackie, would you come, please? And I think we have to recognize, too, remember who John is. We Remember, John is a man that walked with Jesus. <laughs> and I, I can't help but think about when John is saying these things, how he's reflecting over his life as we reflect over ours. Think about your life for a minute. Think about the different chapters of your life. Think about your childhood years. Growing up at home with mom and dad. Think about your teen years. Think about falling in love. Getting married having young families, all those memories. Think about all the jobs you've held in the past. Maybe if you're old enough, your children getting married, grandkids becoming part of your life. You see, every one of these things are chapters. One builds on the other. We don't end life when something like that happens, when I end, lose a job. No, it's just a chapter of my life that's passed. John could reflect the same way over his life with Christ. He can remember the first time he heard Christ call out to him. He could remember listening to Jesus teach. He could remember seeing the miracles. Maybe he could think back to the first time when he realized that Jesus truly was the Son of God. He witnessed his death. John was the one disciple that stayed with Christ at the cross. Jesus looked down at John and said, Behold your mother. As Jesus' mother, Mary, was there, and he says, Take care of my mother. Take care. Behold your mother. John was the one that witnessed. He stuck around. He saw it. He saw the resurrected Christ. He watched him ascend to heaven. 
all these special memories confirm to John the deity of who Christ is. That's why now at the end of the book, he says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. And John's reply is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. John is longing for that personal relationship one more time where he could see Jesus face to face one more time and walk with him again and eat with him again and talk with him again. And so should we. But until that time come, John gives us benediction. He says, the Lord's grace, the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with God's people. So be it. Amen. So that's what we are today. That's where we're today. We are living in that amen time. We're living in that time of faithfulness to God so that we can hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. The only way we're going to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful, is to be what? Good and faithful. So let's not give in. Let's be strong. Let's not give in to the enemy's lies and his deception. Let's not fall prey to that. But let's be diligent in our lives today. And let's be strong. And let's encourage each other to be victorious in all the things that God has for us. Because we have got a grand future ahead of us. I'm telling you, the best is truly yet to come. Amen? The best is truly yet to come. This world is going to pass. And I'm okay with all of it passing away. Because I know what God has in store. And I can't wait. I'm excited for it. But until that day comes... Be faithful. Work hard. Have joy. Good things are coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are everything that you say you are and even more. We can't even begin to comprehend what you have in store for us because truly the best is yet to come. And we're excited, and we want to be found faithful. So, Father, for all those in our lives that maybe aren't there yet with the Lord, I pray that you give us a burden for their hearts. I pray that you allow us, give us the right words to speak at the right time. Anoint us with the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel message. That we would be the bride, where we would cry out, Come, as the Spirit of God cried out, Come that we would now know what it means to truly be that evangelist in that world that we live in. So I pray, God, that we would just celebrate that today. I pray you give us comfort and peace, joy in our time, joy in in this time of living, in this time of patience, in this time of endurance. We give you praise. We give you glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand with me. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing and use this as an opportunity to worship as we go to our homes today. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with Yeah. Uh-huh.
I just want to encourage you today and let you know how much God loves you. There are some here, I believe, and maybe even watching, that don't feel qualified. That don't, that feel the, the enemy's lies in their life to say, I am not good enough. I am not redeemed. I want you to know that if you've asked Christ to be your Savior, if you've prayed the prayer of of forgiveness and said, Father, please forgive me. I want you to know that he's forgiven you and that you are right and you need to live in that and walk in that and do not let the enemy tell you lies. It's okay to know that we're not okay. I am not good enough on my own, but it's by the blood of Christ in me that's covered my sin, that I have redemption, and it's, that's the only way. And I think we need to recognize that, and we need to go back to that and stop worrying about the things that you can't control and just walk into things that, of God's grace and his mercy and know that you're covered by the blood of Christ. And if you're struggling with that, I'll pray with you. Pastor Rip, I'll pray with you. But don't don't let yourself be burdened by the lies and the deception of the enemy. Amen? Amen? Father, I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, one more time. Lord, as we come, even now, we just repent. We bring a prayer of repentance. And maybe that we haven't been as faithful as we know we should have. But Father, please forgive us. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me as I wash my robes in the blood of Christ. Lord, let me walk in joy. Let me walk in assurance of your grace. It is the day of grace. Your grace is extending to every person today. And let me not be encumbered by the burden of the enemy's lies. I stand against the devil right now on behalf of this church, on behalf of every person here that's praying this prayer with me, here or online, and I pray, God, that you will just go to us and bring encouragement to us and bring joy to us because we know what you have in store and we know whose side we're on. We are on, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're a new creation. And we thank you for that and we worship you. And for all this, we pray, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Be blessed.